You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. We've got a great guest on uh, today's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to the show. Uh, it's been a, a lot of fun. Uh, I sound like I'm. It's, it's the end. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, this is <laughs> it. Uh, now I'm going to keep doing this as long as you guys are listening. And if you came here to listen to Dax today, I hope you'll at least subscribe. And if you like the show and you like uh, me interviewing people, then hopefully you'll uh, tune in and subscribe. And uh, you know, I'd appreciate you giving the show another chance. Uh, what's our handles? Uh, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and at Inside of You Pod on Twitter. Um, and then you can also leave messages, which it takes a while, but, um, hello at inside of you podcast.com and you can leave messages. So, um, it's been a crazy week. Uh, I've been watching that show. I told you the vow, right. And we're going to be having a guest coming up soon. Uh, it's incredible. So tune in cause then you'll know a little something. And I, you know, my interviews, you never really have to know the person anyway. I kind of put things in layman's terms and get to know them and. But uh, it's uh, that show is just you know. Have you been watching it? Uh, I, I started to because we're going to talk to that person soon. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, I've, I've only got five minutes in, and it's already I'm already scared. Yeah. You can kind of tell, like I mean, from from our perspective, from outside, you can already tell from the beginning, like this is not good. Well, it's funny you say that because you know when I first started watching it, <laughs> I go, I could do this. I could have joined this. The first episode, I'm like. I could use some more self-esteem. I could use some confidence. I could try to get out of my head. It seemed like it was a healthy thing. Yeah. And then everything just turns to hell. Yeah. I mean, it goes to hell really quickly. And uh, anyway, we'll get into that another time. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us. And a shout out. We had to stage it. And uh, Rob and I played music. We, we actually recorded at Capitol Records this last week. 11 songs. I want to thank the boys. Uh, Billy and and uh, Billy Duran and um, Moran. I said Duran, Billy Duran, Billy Moran and and Rob Humphreys and Joel and Zach and we had a great time at Capitol Records uh, recording our new album, recording me and Danson's new album. But we had to stage it on Saturday and we played live music and everybody came and showed up and I want to give a shout out to the winners from the the stage it before that we didn't give a shout out to and that's Team Rogue Flask. And Leah and Kristen, Leah and Kristen, who are the top bidders and Team Rogue Flask. Thank you guys so much for uh, being on there and supporting uh, the music. Dax Shepard's on today, and uh, I will say this: um, you know, I texted him and I said, "Hey, listen, we did this interview, and then all this stuff happened with the relapse thing with the pills." And uh, do you want to say anything? He's like, "Ah, you know, I pretty much said everything, you know, in a lot mm -hmm. of ways." And I and I get that; it's not like. But I just want to say, as someone who's known Dax for, I mean, before, I mean, just, you know, it was before he really was doing anything, he was on um, Punked. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he had, he was, I knew him when he was drinking heavily and doing a lot of drugs. And we both did some stuff. And, uh, but, you know, he couldn't stop. And so fast forward, he's got this nice family. Uh, he's a good dad. He's a good husband. Um, we're not perfect. We're not effing perfect. I'm the the example of that, the spitting image of uh, imperfection. But, uh, you know, he had a little relapse, which I was surprised. I had to hear about it in the news. I, I you know, I think because he started talking about it on his show. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where he had an injury and then he thought it was okay. A friend gave him some pills and it was this. And then 
it's sort of perpetuated. It's sort of, uh, you know, that his dad was dying and they had a lot of friction, although a lot of love for each other, but they had nothing in common. And the only thing that they did have in common was uh, addiction. And so they both popped a Percocet one night and just stared at the lake. And, um, you know, you do things because you feel an emptiness or you want to feel a connection or you want to feel something. Or maybe you don't want to feel something. It is the way, that way of looking at it. And I know about that. But, you know, he uh, confronted his wife, Kristen Bell, about it. And Kristen, of course, is, you know, cool as shit. She's like, well, you know what? You were fucked up from the accident. You were, you know, then your dad and your dad was dying. And, you know, so, but like, let's call someone. Let's get this going. And um, I think what we do and, you know, I mean, we're all addicts to some extent, right? I, I believe that. I think we're all addicted to something. Um. You know, I feel like, you know, I was just, today's my first day without cigarettes. I'm quitting as of today. So, okay. yeah, yeah, I'm trying to get rid of that. But we make excuses. Like, I'm just going to do two. It's okay. It's because I had the surgery. It's going to be two. Or it's going to, I'm just taking one today. What's the big deal? It's not, you start making these excuses for yourself. And uh, I just think it's really brave for, for Dax to uh, just come out with it and say, I'm done because if it was so little and you were kind of doing it throughout, maybe you just felt like he kept lying to, you know, he was just not being honest about it. And he, he, he used the word shady. He used the word shady. He was like, I was being fucking shady. So, you know, I got to say that uh, it's very hard to say, you know, this is, this is what I was doing. This is how I feel about myself and being honest with it. So mm-hmm. kudos to you, brother, for uh, stepping up and, uh, I love you, and I and I I'm I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, and Dax and I have had a pretty crazy relationship. I mean, you know, we it's definitely one of those things where it's love, and it's just you know, there's definitely a we really enjoy each other, and there's also been those moments where we're like, well, fuck you, man. We'll suck a dick, man. Well, fuck you. I don't need this shit. You know, like whoa, like you know, we've had a couple moments, but we're honest with each other. We kind of just like say what we have to say and if one of us don't like we work it out mm-hmm. and um i just want to say uh, i'm 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 happy uh that he's uh he confronted his his shit and i need to confront my shit a little more i i you know i think we all do mm-hmm. and uh so thanks for uh doing that shit boy uh we're going about to get in this uh let you know that there's some cool inside of you wine glasses on the inside of you store uh, new wine glasses and new mugs and a bunch of shit on there. So go to the Inside You Online store. Um, and patrons, thank you so much for continue, continue, continual yeah. support mm-hmm. or continuing to support the show. <laughs> Just keep digging. Jeez, man. It's been a rough morning, but uh, everything else is uh, everything's good. All right. Uh, let's get into Dak Shepard. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You. Michael Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I've never, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, I've never heard someone sound so good or so clear. Your setup is really good, Dax. Oh, you're just saying in general on the podcast? Well, yes, I've listened and your voice is, it's, <laughs> it's crisp. It's refreshing. It's like a uh, Nest tea. You remember the uh, drink, the Nest tea? What's the immediate feeling you're having right now? Because I'm having an immediate feeling. Uh, a, a little um, excited, a little yeah. anxious, but excited. Well, like, 
I'm immediately going like, oh my God, I miss Rosenbaum so much. Every time I see him, I love talking to him. Uh, why has it been this long? Uh, which is the nature of life. I don't think anyone's at fault, but I'm yeah. just, I'm immediately delighted to be seeing you. I know I'm going to have fun. <laughs> I can't find my nicotine, which is going to be a big, big ordeal. It's funny. That, hold was, on, the, hold on. that was one of my questions, by the way, today. <laughs> still okay. on the nicotine, still doing the Nicorette, still doing it. Oh, but I mean, I mean, it's way worse than that. I'm, I've been, I've been dipping for now, like six months, I guess. Just no, not that long. Cause I quit on new year's for a month or two i don't know yeah i'm on it you know i mean i could lie i could lie and tell you i'm not but i am does, does that mean because <laughs> you quit smoking you quit drinking all that into what oh four it's been a long time yeah i quit drinking in oh four i quit smoking in oh five so i'm 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 on 15 years of no smoky uh but but i've been on the nicotine mints for uh, 13 of those 15 years, I was off for a couple of years entirely. And then I found uh, literally, I found four mints in a fucking nightstand. And I told Kristen, I'm going to have, I'm going to have these. It's been two years. I'm just going to have one tonight. I'm going to have one tomorrow night. And then of course, three days later, I was at a CVS buying like 128 pack of the lozenges. <laughs> My God. Do you still dream of darts? Cigarettes? No, I, you know, I have zero interest in smoking, thank God. Uh, it, it, something clicked on the last time. I had quit a bunch of times, but I knew it like something changed when like I'd see someone really cool, uh, uh, an actor I like smoking sure. in a movie, and it didn't oh, yeah. even appeal to me then. I was like, once it hit me, like, how absurd. You, you're going to fill these fleshy little membranes full of smoke. It's crazy. Like you, you should hope to only put the purest air in those things and just to fill them to the <laughs> brim with smoke. All of a sudden, it finally occurred to me how crazy that is. But how, how does it finally occur? Because for me, it, it has occurred many times. I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it. You know it's not a good thing, and yet you do it. That's part of addiction, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Going, yeah, uh, whatever consequence there is on the other side of this my immediate desire to regulate my emotions uh supersedes that well this you know for me it was like especially in the beginning i was like well this is post-apocalyptic this is, this oh. is i have every right to have a cigarette who's yeah, gonna could care be the end could be the end I i'm gonna have a smoke yeah well and then ironically it turns out heavy nicotine use is 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 um preventing people from getting covid have you read those in the no. new york times yeah <laughs> there's a like disproportionately low mem number of people with covid that are smokers and nicotine users there's something about it that has reduced its ability to to anchor itself into your body i just love how sometimes the way you speak i'm gonna have myself a little sip of this oh what do you got a lacrosse this is a green tea ginseng is that an arizona iced tea yeah, it is. They're not a sponsor, oh by the way. Oh, my goodness. Good for you. Is what that a blast bad from me? the past. Is that bad? I have to imagine. Look at the can. Tell me how many grams of sugar and I then can't. times it by however many doses. I can't read it. My guys are not that good. Can't. I have contacts and I still can't read it. You can't read the side of a can. No, I can't read the side of a can. Is that so frustrating? It is. In fact, um, what I had to do while you were taking a dump is I had to... Uh, go and if i had some questions and i just i, I had a bigger font what well, yeah what do you so great look here's my list of questions from my last interview that i just got off of and, big and font. I go, 
I go 15, and then if it's a point I really can't miss, like the name of their book, I pop it up to 18. Hold on. What, what number look, are you on? I'm, first of all, I'm, if you see me looking, I just have to make sure it's still recording because I'm doing this oh, by Jesus. my And there's a lot you of stuff like on it. OCD thing with the recorder? Well, you know, it happened once. I was talking to someone. I was like, oh, my God, that is the best story. Holy shit. <laughs> Can you repeat <laughs> <Yeah>. that amazing <laughs> story? <laughs> As if it's the first time you've ever told it to me. And what's funny is that was the one story they wanted cut. Oh, yeah, it was a good yeah. story, but I had to respect it. You know, it's like you got to respect. Did it involve sex or drugs? Drugs. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. even a big drug either. Isn't it weird? I mean, I guess I guess I understand because um, I recognize that I'm abnormally forthcoming with all my shit. Mm -hmm. But but even within that and recognizing I'm on the far end of the spectrum, some things people hold on to. I just can't wrap my head around. Like, like what? Well, like drug use. <laughs> who the fuck cares I, like, I just you know there'll be people that like don't want to admit they smoke weed I, i'm just confused by it a little bit yeah i get I, it's hard to, sometimes to because we're so open you have uh i think you're definitely re one of the responsible not responsible i mean you're responsible but you're <laughs> one of the reasons why i think i'm more open i, I be, i've become more open i think this podcast has caused me to be more open because you start to think I, I, it's almost like I have to be honest. What am I talking about if I'm not, if I can't be honest about everything? And so that, but you definitely, you're just the first time you were on, people would always respond like that was the, your, your interview. Well, don't you find that if you, if you, if you're not going to be honest about stuff, they're just roadblocks in interviewing, right? Because you, you're like, oh, I, I could relate to them right now or I could. You know, I could advance right. this whole thing, but I but I don't want to tell people I've done cocaine. So uh, now I can't advance it because of that. And it just they all end up being little roadblocks along the way. I think that's right, because I, I, I definitely feel when I start opening up about my anxiety, childhood, anything, I feel like then people are like sort of like, oh, wow, he's he, it, it just sort of like makes things he OK. Didn't burst into flames. Absolutely. What I don't understand, <laughs> though, is something that you have a gift for doing it or maybe just the patience to do it, which surprises me because I, I've seen you impatient, you know, okay, sure. But how well, do you do me directing? So, yeah, well, well, I don't know. You you pretty you were pretty solid when you directed. You, you kept your cool. <laughs> The only thing you ever I know, said, but I'm in a hurry, I guess, is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very frenetic, fast paced. Yes. But I remember I remember one time we just had this conversation on set. It was on Hit and Run, which I, I love doing. And I, th I think is a great movie, by the way. I do. I, I really love that. I love the part. I love everyone. I love everyone in the movie. It was just a lot of fun. It was this little indie thing. And like you were just, you know, you're the lead in it, which I should have learned when I did mine not to do that. That's the hardest <laughs> thing ever. I don't know how we survive. But I remember you sitting there and like. Do you trust me? What? Do you trust me? I go, yeah. Then, then what are we talking about? Just trust me. You're going to, it's going to be fine. And I remember well, that was a perfect pair because we have kind of the same fears. Like we both, I, well, I'll speak for me. I have a huge authority thing <laughs> just right out of the gates. I cannot stand authority. I Absolutely. think it's because of stepdads that you had stepdads. I don't need some person telling me the game plan. I had enough of that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, right out of the gates. Uh, and I had a lot of adults around me in childhood that had nefarious plans, even if they weren't evil. They just had like self-serving plans that I was the victim of. So, you know, forever 
going forward, I just I, I'm I'm a little preoccupied by what's your real intention here? Or what's your real motivation? What are you really trying to get? You know, right? Let's cut through all the fine tape here. Let's let's just get to where you want. What are you saying? Because you're beating around the bush here. Is it you don't trust me? Because if it's how you're going to look on film, <laughs> if it's how you're going to, then I want you to trust me. I've got that. And sometimes right. you need that. And sometimes, look, I have, uh, I think the biggest arguments I've ever gotten in my life were authoritative figures. You're right. Uh, directors, yeah. not many. Well, And I bet we remember, uh, A, I bet we remember different details of that conversation. And then B, I bet we remember different outcomes of that conversation. Because, of course, you and I are just, we're creating a narrative at all times. So mine's very self-serving. So my memory of that, I felt like the moment where I got you to click in a little bit was I was like, you know, do you want to be in the same movie as everyone else? Because I can tell you like what movie all these people are in and I'm trying to get you in the same movie. And I do feel a little bit like once I took it away from it, it's not what I want. I'm not trying to control you. Right. I'm just we we established some tone in this movie and you can either be. In, in in concert with that, or you can be playing the trumpet on your own. Right. You know, you pick. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes, you know, as an actor, you probably, well, he hired me for the, he hired me. He knows what I could do. I'm just going to go balls out and try a bunch of things. And, but you wanted, you wanted specific specificity. You wanted, yes. and, and by the way, and that's not a word I get out easily or use, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it made sense. And sometimes it doesn't make sense until you see things until, and I, you know, when you showed me something, I was like, uh, Oh, like I don't have to do much. Like this is like, it's there. So I, I get it. And it was one of those, it was a great conversation. I think that that needs to happen. I think, uh, but my question really is, first of all, you do three hour interviews. I know. And it's, it's, it's like Rogan does that too. You guys do it. And maybe I, I, for me, I just don't have the patience. I can't talk to people more than an hour. Sometimes well, it's an on, hour and a half. On the spectrum of ADD, let's say we're all somewhere on it, zero to 10, you're certainly higher on it than I am. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't expect that you you would be able to just stay in the zone for three hours. Yeah, that's hard. I think even when yeah. you and I did our live show, um, that was you great. You had enough at an hour. <laughs> Well, it's not that I had enough. No, I'm just like, I feel like I have an energy and I bring a sort of energy and I'm like, yeah, and I'm just excited. I'm telling this. And then, then I hit a wall somewhere along the line. Uh, yes. And again, from my point of view, that whole day was so funny because we we flew down together and you were being so funny on the plane and you were entertaining all these new people, which is exactly what I would do. It's like all these new people to get approval from. Yep. And like I'm enjoying it. And then the, the producer and me occasionally is like above it all going like, I don't know Rosenbaum's going to have anything left for the show tonight. <laughs> yeah. This would be an extraordinary output to do twice, and it's a two-hour flight. So I basically, you're going to do two two-hour shows. And luckily, we found you a hotel room, sent you there to just recoup and recharge <laughs> before did. the big I show. I passed out. That flight of, of entertainment. Of course you did. You put on like a, a real show the oh. whole flight. Yeah, and then on the way home, you broke the door down. The cockpit was locked. They couldn't open the door. You kicked it down. You remember that? Didn't Didn't Jay kick it down? Oh, maybe it was Jay. Yeah, because it was his plane. Yeah, did maybe I kick it? I, I can't remember. I just remember going, thank God the owner of the plane is here. 
<laughs> yeah, because, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you're like, well, I hope he doesn't. But fuck it. That cockpit door needed to be open. Well, we started getting a little claustrophobic. Yeah, I was getting right? worried. I, mean, I didn't like it. I'm a claustrophobic. Yeah, I didn't feel well. I was hiding it. I was just like, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, back to that whole thing about authoritative figures. You know, because you've directed a lot. You know, you directed big movies, you directed small movies, episodes of TV, Parenthood, this and that. But like, when you're on set now as an actor, I know you, I think, well enough that when someone else is directing, if you don't really like them, like how they're doing this and how they're moving, I know it probably pisses you off. Like you get really upset. Well, yeah, it does. And and uh, I'm aware that I have an oversized reaction to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I like to think I'm self-aware enough to go. A, I'm not uniquely victimized by this. Whatever problems this director has, certainly every cast member is experiencing it, right? So I have to kind of remind myself, like, I'm not uniquely put upon right now. I'm just one of all these people that have to deal with the director. I try to remember that. And then I go, I, I have a uniquely uh, strong reaction to, to being a part of a game plan I don't agree with, you know, from childhood baggage. But, I mean, does yeah. that alleviate the, the, the angst in me? Not a ton. But, but I have learned a little bit to um, work around it in that I've learned how to help them know how to talk to me. This is like an Adam Grant guy. Adam Grant, this genius uh, uh, professor who we've interviewed, and now I'm a, like a, he's my religion. But at any rate, like you got to you got to give people a, a, an operator manual for you. You can't assume people know your childhood and your triggers and all this shit. So like you do people a real favor by giving them the operator's manual on you. So so I I tend to tell the directors like ahead of time like you know what would help me is if you tell me what the scene needs. I'll I I'll help you get what the scene needs. But if you if you start micromanaging what I'm doing, I'm going to get defensive. I'm just too insecure. And so let me be a part of helping you get what you need out of the scene. Cause, cause what, what I think a lot of times what happens is these, these arguments between directors and actors, the actor is right. The actor is doing something that would be truthful in the moment. And, and, and you're not going to persuade them or convince them that they're not, but the director has to make the whole thing work that they have to make the whole movie make sense. And a lot of times that involves not doing something that's necessarily truthful in the moment, to tell the greater story. So the director's like balancing what would maybe be dead truthful in the moment versus what they have to, what the scene has to be to make the next scene work. So if you let me in on the big project, I can probably, I'm more apt to like do something that I, I think feels fraudulent in the moment to help you get the big thing for the scene. Have you had uh, directors where they don't want to do that? They're like, this is the way it's doing it. And you can fucking pout about it or get pissed about it. I don't give a shit. And have they ever played that uh, card with you? Um, yeah, I, I gotta say I'm, I'm generally amen, uh, amenable, uh, amenable specificity, <laughs> specificity. Um, you know, obviously it's, a, it's something you would experience way more on, uh, in a movie than on TV. Like on TV, I'm very sympathetic to those directors, man. They come in, everyone knows each other. They've known each other for a couple of years and they got to be the boss and they're the new yeah. group and they're an outsider. It's like, I was I was said this the other day, like it, it would be like moving to a new school. And when they introduce you to the class, they tell them they you're also the school president. <laughs> like here's meet Dax. He just moved here from Milford, Michigan. Right. And he's now the school president. 
everyone's going to hate that fucking kid. And that is what a, a TV right. director's life is. They come in as an outsider and they're the boss. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel like there's certain things that you actually really care about? I try to do this. I try to work as though I care about this and I really want to be an integral part of it. And I want to have a say, and I want to have an opinion. And then there's some things I've done where like, I don't even care. I don't care. Do whatever well, you want to do. Get me out of here so I can go home. I'll, I'll hit well, my marks. I'll say my lines, but I don't really care. It's, it's not worth me getting upset about. Well, increasingly, as I've done this longer, that I'm of that opinion most of the time. My, 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 in fact, my agitation with directors uh, in the last couple of years is almost never about creative. It's, it's all about, why are we going to do it this way? It'll take four times as long, and we won't accomplish the thing any better than we would if we did it this way. You know, it, that's my frustration generally. But you know what like their a, answer is? Their answer is always like, well, I'm being creative and I want to do something that I think is, hasn't been seen or that I, that's why I'm doing it. But if we do it your way, it's cookie cutter and they're not going to ask me back. So it's out of a place of fear, perhaps. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. But, you know, you have to kind of assess like some people want to be away from their family and I get it. I mean, especially right now, after two and a half months in a house with my family, I, put me in a 16 hour a day set. I'll be happy as a clam. But in general, I want to go home and see my family. And I understand a lot of people don't want to. Right. And that's where the that that's kind of where it gets into a situation where th there almost appears to be no compromise because you just you want to be at work all day. And I don't. Right. And I don't know how we I don't know how we solve that. So my, my suggestion is like there's some actors here that also don't want to be home. <laughs> you guys go crazy on the days you're with them. Fucking shoot 20 hours. Uh you know, yeah. But, but for me, let's let's keep it, let's keep it lean, mean, and you know, tail lights. <laughs> Seriously, you know. But I by was, the way, I've also found that it's not like the quality of my acting's gone down. When I was when I was crazy about acting and I thought so much about it, and I had to do this thing, and they had to let me show you what this would work. All that you add up all those performances with the ones where I didn't give a shit. I don't think there's a difference. And perhaps I'm better when I don't give a shit. Maybe we had a conversation and I remember it was in a coffee shop in Studio City and you raised your voice. You weren't yelling, but you were very uh, assertive. You were very uh, this was important to you. So I th th <laughs> thus began a, uh, a conversation that everyone had to hear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, well, I don't understand because you, you, <laughs> you, you came from everyone in the year. Well, you, well, you came from a, a va I mean, your point was valid. I remember you said, well, I just like to work. I like to act. I don't care if I'm on a bad show. I don't care if I'm in this. I want to perform. I want to act. I want to work. And we had two yeah. different sort of ideas in fact i think we might have talked about this and with monica on the plane you're monica this has come up a bunch between you and i yeah right, it's, because, it's an ongoing yeah. disagreement and i, I you know, <laughs> i'm sort of like maybe it's because i had success with acting at a younger age not y well younger but and i kind of burn out and i was just like i just don't i want to i have to love what i'm doing now maybe and maybe all of a sudden you hit your stride you went from, you know, you were on punked and you did growlings and you all this, but you had to really, we all had to earn it, but you really had to grow and grow in this role and this role. And 
And maybe, you know, you, maybe you're starting to get burnt out of it now. You're understanding my point. Well, <laughs> no, I think for me, I, and, and by the way, this, this was my point then, and it, it remains my point. And by the way, I'm not judgmental of anyone operating out of ego. I operate on out of ego in so many realms of my life, but I do recognize that me wanting to be on Breaking Bad is my ego because I want people around town to bump into me and say, Oh my God, I love your show. Right. And, and I want to have died having been on these great shows. But, but then another part of my brain recognizes my children are never going to see breaking bad. They're not going to rediscover it, that it goes away. It happened. It goes away. There's no permanence. There's no, it doesn't matter. I'm going to die. And whether or not I leave behind me, 700 episodes of amazing TV or 700 episodes of terrible, unwatchable TV. There's really no difference in that outcome because no one beyond my life is going to evaluate that. So all my life really will have been is how much fun did I have making the 700 terrible or good or, or, or great episodes and how much did they pay me? Right. I, I think the rest I think is my ego now. And again, I don't mind that. Some, but here's the, like, yes, you like great shows. And my point to you is always like, then watch great shows, <laughs> turn them on, <laughs> enjoy them. You don't have to be in them. <laughs> I, look, I, I agree to a point. I think my approach was, I think your kids will watch them, but it, first of all, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you're dead. No, it doesn't matter. So look, of course there's ego. I have a lot of ego and fuck, I've worked on it. We both have. I think for me, it's like, look, A, if I couldn't afford, like, if I have a family or if I couldn't afford something, I will do whatever it is. I don't care yeah. if they're doing uh, whatever. I'm not going to badmouth the show. I mean, I will, but uh, I don't, I would do it. I would do whatever it takes to get, have money to provide. But yeah. if I'm lucky enough where I could make those decisions, I'd much rather spend my time on a show that has that I'm really proud of that is actually uh, I stretch. I uh, I'm challenged. Uh, I I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to tell people to watch this as opposed yeah. to, Hey, I'm on the show that I don't even like Th That's well, my point. It's a great point. But I had this experience over the last couple of years, which was, I was on the ranch on Netflix. It has a humongous audience. I've never met a single person in Hollywood that's watched it. Uh, not one. And I know several hundred people in Los Angeles and not one human being in our industry has watched the ranch. Now, when I go do a live show around the country, I meet a ton of people that like the ranch that it has 5 million viewers. Um, so what I'm really doing is I'm elevating the opinion of my peers above the 5 million people that watch the show and enjoy it. First and foremost, right? I've decided I want my peers approval and not this 5 million people. Because I think it goes without saying, neither of us are talking about a show that has no audience. Then that, That's moot. Yeah, you can't be on a show with no audience. Oh, I've had those shows. So, okay, but they don't last. You, you're not on them for long. Yeah. So my point is, like, if you're on a show that has an audience, now you're talking about what audience are you proud to have? And that's kind of ego, because there's no human's more valuable than another. So the 5 million people that love the ranch versus the 5 million people that love the parenthood the only difference was some of those people that love parenthood were my peers. So it felt better. My ego felt more stroked by the fact that it was my peers as opposed to these other 5 million people. So once I acknowledge there's no hierarchy in who likes it, 
you know, or it'd be shitty of me to think there's a hierarchy. I then go to, okay, so I probably wouldn't watch The Ranch. None of my peers watch The Ranch. But to your point, if I want to be proud of the work I did, ironically, I had some scenes in The Ranch that I think are the best I've ever had as an actor. Like the final of that show, I actually had the experience. I've had the experience on Parenthood where I'm trying to be emotional. And then I had like the 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 transcended experience on the ranch where it was like I was so emotional. I was trying not to be emotional, which is what would have really happened in that situation. And I was trying not to cry. And I was failing at that. And I've never had that experience. That's truth. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had it on another project. And there were tons of other projects that were maybe, you know, quote, in our industry better. But my personal experience and my personal accomplishment probably peaked on that show that none of my peers will watch. Yeah, no, valid point. I think ultimately, though, at the end of the day, it's not a matter of like the Midwest watching it or Hollywood watching it or whoever watches it. It's and it's not even about you watching. it. It's like, do you like working? Do you, if you like the work, for instance, if Ashton well, exactly, was yeah, process. Do you like process? I you, like process. Do you like all process because I'm not a big fan of all process. I, I don't like look, I'll do it maybe, but. You know, people think of Hollywood, they think of it just all glamour. I've had friends come on every set I've ever been on and go, God, man, you're doing that fucking thing again. What the fuck? They've already shot. Oh, there's nothing better than bringing someone to set. It's so exciting for four and a half minutes and they can't (laughs) wait to get the fuck out of there. It's so great. Everybody. Everybody. Even if it's their favorite show. Doesn't matter. And you bring them after five minutes, they're like, wait. This is so boring. <laughs> yeah, then by the fifth tape, they're going, I don't know if Lex Luthor would say that either. That's kind of, yeah, I, don't, I don't like your reaction to the last one. Yeah, I didn't ask you. So, uh, But yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's I get it. I get it. You like work. I, I like, look, you also worked with Ashton Kutcher, who was one of your close friends. So if Ashton wasn't in it or some other guys weren't in it that you knew, would you have done it? Uh, it's hard to say. I definitely did it because of Ashton and uh, because the pay wasn't there initially. So I wouldn't have done it for the pay uh, that then they did pay me when I came on as a regular, which was nice. But um, look, I, I was in the movie, the judge, right? Uh, fucking uh, you name them. They're in them. D'Onofrio, uh, fucking uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Great Santini. Uh, what was his name? Robert Duvall. The point is. <laughs> Everyone there's a phenomenal actor. They're all much better actors than I am. Right. The pleasure I had on that set, by the way, I did the same thing on that set, which is I told a bunch of jokes. I tried to make everyone laugh and I got approval and I loved it. And the same thing was happening on the ranch. So the, for me, the experience is almost identical. It's just a place for me to go to try to be entertaining to people. So you like, it's not even the acting as much as it is. How do I entertain people? It's between takes. I think you that's and I, I both share job. that. I think you and I that, both share that. It's exhausting, but that's what we do. Yes. And that's why I love this job. It's a job where you're, you're encouraged to fuck around and delay working and be funny. And, be, you know, who else has that job where, like, you know, the, the boss is thrilled that you were a fucking goofball the whole day? It's the dream. Well, if that if you're saying that, then the next time you direct something, if you want to pay me a decent amount of money just to come and entertain the, the, the crew, <laughs> maybe do some stand up in between takes. I'd love to do that. I can't see me directing anything for another few decades, so I hope you whoa, still whoa. have the stamina in your 60s. Wait, why? <laughs> why don't you want to direct anything? Um, For those things that we talked about, which is I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. Um, directing a movie is two years of your life. You get one paycheck for those two years. It could fucking tank 
and or it could be humongous. And I that that cost reward analysis doesn't appeal to me as much as it once did. Well, how long do you work on a set? How long do you work on um, Bless This House? Bless This Mess? Well, it was canceled. You know that? Oh, I'm sorry. I know you enjoyed that. It's totally okay. Um, I did enjoy it. I really thought the show was really funny. I loved it. I loved watching it with my kids. I loved all the dude. The Kettner. cast was like, oh, come Kettner, on. Lennon Parham, uh, you know, Lake, uh, Bigley. Every, uh, uh, the whole cast was insane. It was, it was definitely the funniest cast I've been a part of. So I loved it, but it was 65 hours a week for seven months of the year. And I have three other jobs. So it, it, just getting the time back definitely softened the blow of, you know, my ego. Right. Having my show canceled. But for, well, I guess my point is if seven months, 65 hours a week, why couldn't you do a two and a half month movie? That's less than half of that. You could go back and direct something. I know it's well because I got to write for a year. Okay, you do that at then home. I, then you got to prep. Then you got to shoot for a couple, two and a half months. Then you got to edit for three months. Then you got to test. Then you got to go promote. It's two years. Yeah, you're right. But I just remember how you know you were good at it. Not only, but you were passionate about it, and I knew you had fun doing it. And and I just you know I remember the joy you had. I mean, forget Big whether, time. you know, so I, there's nothing I like more than production. I, there's nothing I enjoy more than directing the movie. Now the year beforehand, I don't love it's lonely writing. And then the stress of editing and testing is not fun. I wouldn't say, uh, you, of course you get a huge sense of pride as you make it better and better and all those things. And you test higher, all that stuff's rewarding, but you know, the fun part of the two years is the two months you're shooting. And again, that, that's a lot of that's a lot of months that aren't fun to have the two fun months. And I, it's not like I, I left directing and went to um, back to detasseling corn. I, I left right. <laughs> directing and I, I'm on a sitcom and I have a podcast and I host Top Gear and I have a game show. Uh, those are all really fun things. You know, I mean, do you think you'll want to act again or, or or like or not not like, you know, you know, direct movies? Do you think you'll do you? I, I know we had this conversation, but it, it seems like we both love doing our podcast. We both like, oh, man, I, I kind of this is this is great. I'm fulfilled. I have great fans and listeners and I, I enjoy it. I feel like I'm making a difference. I'm I'm improving as a human being. Uh, you know, I guess when does it become enough? Because I see you do all these things and you're two kids. We got what's Lincoln's what, seven? Yeah, five and seven. Five and Dakota. Yeah, so I'm like, holy shit, man! You got this family. You got the, it's just you. You do so much, and sometimes I wonder why do these people? Why does my friend do as much as that? Why doesn't he just chill the fuck out? Why? What, what, what is it psychologically that you just need to do more and more and more and more? Well, I think there's there's a there's many many reasons why. One is. Um, I'll start with the grossest. I'm a, I have a huge fear of financial insecurity, despite the fact that I have no financial insecurity. It doesn't matter because fears aren't generally reality based. So, you know, I'm from a very modest background and my mom built this business and, and, and money was a big priority in our lives and, and sacrifice for money was what you did. And so, you know, I have a hard time if someone calls me and says, hey, can, you want to make X amount of money in a week? By filming 10 episodes of a game show in a week. And I'm going to say, no, I think I'm good without that money. I can't imagine saying that. But, so th there's that. Uh, two, 
uh, all those things I actually enjoy doing, right? So it's not like none of them am I on my way there going like, oh, I got to fucking do this. I, I don't have that feeling. So there's there's no downside. The only the only real stress is like, again, bless this mess with so many hours. I start going like, fuck, I don't like that I'm just either waking my girls up and driving them to school or putting them down. I, I don't like having to decide if I only get to do one of those things. I don't love that. I bring my kids to set. It's so fucking boring. I feel terrible for them. Then I regret it. Oh, why did I bring them here? Well, I wanted to see them. Oh, there's nothing for them to do. Uh, you know, uh, that all happens. But uh, there's a uh, strike while the iron's hot mentality. Uh, I just want to stockpile money so I'm not ever. Uh, I, look, you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to be 80 uh, playing a guy who poops his pants in a scene that no one knows their name because I need the money. I could be. I don't want to be in that situation. I'll take that part. I probably will take that part. <laughs> I'll Not, take that fart. Yeah, I'll take that fart. I'll take that chart. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp, when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times... We keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm -hmm. um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money. And, you know, Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's, it's perfect for my lifestyle. And I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um, 
Yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside50 and use code inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. Yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm probably overly pragmatic about, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a long ride and I'm going to need money 40 years from now. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Well, it's just amazing to me. It's you like, don't have as many financial fears as I do. Well, like, as I, I don't. And I have, friends. by the way, yeah. And I know you don't like, you know, we don't want to talk about money, but it's like you have a, you're a very successful actor, podcaster, direct, all that. Kristen's yeah. a tremendously uh, blah, blah, blah. You both are very. So you have two people that are making money. Yeah. And my agents are always telling me, you, you I, I just, I, I don't know if some of it's fear. Some of it's just, I don't want to be, do that. I don't want to, there's a lot of stuff that goes through my head, but let's listen. I definitely look at my finances every month and go, I still mm. do this since I was a kid, since I was uh, no in New York. And I go, you have $900. You could pay rent for one month. You could eat, <laughs> yeah. you could rollerblade to work this week. Cause you work at uh, emergency skills incorporated um, on the phone, telemarketing. <laughs> You could, and then all of a sudden, then I got money when I was 26. I'm like, okay, first season of Smallville. Wow. It went all the way through, even today. Like, you could actually live eight years if you did nothing. Yeah. And I start, that's what I do, where I'm like, I don't think about getting more and more and more and more. Like, my agent's like, dude, you could do this and this. And I'm like, I just want to be comfortable. I really do. Yeah. I, don't, I just want to. The second somebody goes, oh, you have nothing left. I'm like, oh, well, get me, get me a job. Oh, here's the great irony. All of it is, is that you, you, you met me right after I had been living for 10 years in LA on eight grand a year. Oh, I yeah. did that for 10 years and I almost never thought about money. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got money, I started thinking about money all the time. Like when I had none, it was just like, oh, you got none. You got eight <laughs> grand a year. You got to pay this rent. You half of $600. Brie paid the other half. And then I got to stay drunk five nights a week. That in what's the cheapest way I can do that? And once it was all dialed, it was like it was just on a, a, like auto, auto deduction. Like okay, I'm gonna make eight grand, and then I'm gonna spend it on this, and it's all, and I'm gonna save five hundred dollars a year. Like and then it was over. I didn't even think about it. <clears throat> but I do the same thing as you. I'm like, okay, how long could we live? And I have kids, and I, the kids got to go to college, and the kids blah blah blah. So I just I work through that scenario. And then all that happens is there's different permutations. Like I go, okay, well, how long can we live with this lifestyle? Okay, okay, so what if we scaled it back by this? Then we could live this long. But it's just endless and it's pointless. And I recognize it's a racket and there's it's all faux security. There's no security in life. The fucking this coronavirus came around and just started laughing at everyone. Oh, everyone planned for this. Check this out. Everyone's going to sit in their fucking home for the next three months. Was that in your plan? 
<laughs> so I recognize it's all an illusion of security, which is not to say that I, I, I'm able to, uh, you know, detach myself from it. I, 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 I still obsess about it. Do you, I guess part of that question was, do, I mean, do if you, I were you, I'd go, what, how much is enough Shepard? Yeah. How much is enough? That's what I was thinking because I know that look, it's obvious. It's not like, you know, obviously you guys have a way more money. Look, money's not that. I mean, look, it's, I'm just saying like, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to go there. It doesn't matter. Okay. What I will say is, well, here's what I can tell you about what's enough. Okay. I know because it's already happened. <laughs> Whatever number I were to tell you the day I reach that number, it, there'll be a new number. That I know about myself. Okay. No, that's good. I like it. Listen. And by like the when way, you, when you and I were, when you and I were 18 and we lived in the Midwest. Yeah. If someone told us we had a million dollars. Oh my God. I'm telling you, I would have been like, sweet. I get a fucking, uh, a Mastercraft ski boat. I get a 79 Bronco. JC Penny's fucking card. Yeah. And then I'm done. By the way, not a million. <laughs> when I was a kid in Indiana, I go, I make a hundred thousand dollars. I'm leaving this world. Oh, I thought it was a hundred thousand. I thought a hundred thousand dollars would get you. And then you're like, wow, a hundred thousand dollars will last most families. Oh, maybe a year. Yes. Well, and, and, and in my paradigm, the people that made that were the engineers at General Motors. So my whole life was automotive. Everyone I knew was somehow in that world. And if you got to like, I don't know, seventh level at GM as an engineer, you could make a hundred grand. So for me, that was virtually the, the ceiling of what someone could make. So yeah. And then. The second you make that, you know, the million dollars on Smallville, all of a sudden you're friends with some asshole who's making $5 million a year. And that's part of what drives the insanity is. Right. You're okay. Now, <laughs> that's good. This is where I'm going. So my question is with all this stuff and all the money and, uh, you know, the marriage and the kids and all this, you think that don't you want a quieter time? Don't you want to be able to, how much time do you really have to spend with your friends? How much time do you really have in general? Because do you miss those times in Michigan? Do you miss those times of just when it was just simpler and you didn't have that much responsibility? And you, it, do you ever think, do you ever uh, reflect? Do you ever, um, what's the word? Uh, Evaluate or revert back to old behaviors or go, oh shit, I'm trying, I'm thinking a certain way like I get used to. I got to, I got to correct that. Well, I will say uh, now I just admitted all that gross stuff about me, how much I think about money and I'm obsessed with it. But I, I will say I do think I'm pretty uh, balanced. Like, so I still have tons of hobbies. I still go off roading all the time. I have like a group of friends I ride on the motorcycle track with that I race with. There, there's do I have like sand dune buddies. I have um, actor buddies. I, I have I have a big friendship group and 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 I spend a lot of time with that group. All things considered, the fact that I do have these jobs. And increasingly, as you've pointed out, you know, my, my calculus to whether or not I want to work on a job is like, what's the bang for the buck? Can I make 10 episodes in a week? Yeah, sign me up. Top gear. I'm on top gear. We can shoot an episode in two and a half days. That beats the shit out of being on an HBO show where an episode of Game of Thrones takes 13 days, you know. So that stuff starts becoming part of the analysis. You want to maybe it's not it's not a bad thing. It's kind of it's what I want. I mean, I'd love to feel like I'm doing nothing but still making a living. <laughs> sure. I think that's, I think that's the that's dream. The goal. We, all, we would I, all like that. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's, so. I mean, really who wants to, who wants to work, but, but, but increasingly I'll also say this, a big part of the equation now also, and this is from like, I look up to people like Danny McBride who oh, clearly well. didn't ever prioritize money. He only prioritized working with friends 
mm-hmm. I think he's the big winner in all this. I think there's probably people who make more money, but that like, and I think Sandler did that brilliantly. I think the people who recognize, okay, I'm going to work. That's going to be very time consuming, but I have the ability to spend all that time with friends. Uh, then you're just, you're winning. So that's, you know, like Chris and I are going to do a game, a game show. And it's like, yeah, that won't be a job. I'll just be with Kristen. And that's ideal. Like Hanging out. I'm working with my favorite person and, and I'll get paid. So, you know, you said something awesome on a, an interview. You said, um, it was the first time in a relationship where you felt like in your other relationships, you tried to make the person you're dating more like the person you want to date or something like <laughs> yeah, that. I'm it, paraphrasing, it, but with yeah, Kristen, yeah. you didn't do that. It was the first time you made a conscious effort not to sort of go there and say, hey, I'm not going to try to mold her into what I want. And I thought that was really interesting because I think I've, I've done 21 that. 21 and older, let an, another N-word molder. That's a Jay-Z line. <laughs> but I really, <laughs> I don't know. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yes. Um, never, never consciously. I've never like, I'm, uh, I'm not a psychopath. I've never like dated someone and like, I'm going to, I'm going to turn them into the person I want, but slowly I argue with people. They have a position on something. I try to convince them of my way of thinking and, and, and I just do that. And then you look at it cumulatively over time and you're like, Oh, I think of, I think I was, you know, I think I was trying to get this person to think exactly like me, but why would the fuck would I want to be with someone that thinks exactly like me? Just stay by myself. Exactly. Why am I doing this? Like what you should be looking to add someone to your life that thinks completely different, that has a different skill set that, that basically doubles your life in its scope and worldview. And, and, you know, I, I had that commitment when I met Kristen And a lot of this stuff for me personally was challenging. I was like, do you believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he rose for our sins? And she said, yes. And I was like, my first thought was, oh no, I, I want to have kids with this person. Is she going to tell them that they're going to go to hell if they sin? Like I go to all these fears about what her believing in that will, how it'll negatively impact me. Cause I'm a selfish motherfucker and it all is about how will it impact me. And I just thank God for the first time in my life I had the foresight to go, don't even touch that. That's great. You think that? Awesome. I'll worry about the kids thing when that arises. Uh, and guess what? Many years later, we had kids, and that's not an issue I even wrestle with. So it would have been a complete waste of my energy and time, and it never even ended up bearing the the poisonous fruit I was afraid it would. By the way, I just thought, wow, I, I wish everybody would marry someone who's sort of the opposite in thinking or have di- – because then maybe kids would be more normal. Because if two parents believe one thing, that kid is going to spend the rest of his life saying what mommy and daddy said. I believe what they said. And that just carries on. But when two people, two, you know, you, Kristen, you know, they could listen to your arguments and make their own decision ultimately. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we do have a kind of family rule in our house, which is best argument wins. So when we tell them they can't do something or they're, you know, whatever the numerous rules you got to put in place as a parent, which blows, uh, they, they have their day in court. Right. And and quite often they win. Like if they can make a really salient argument and and it's logic based and it's, we will, we will concede defeat if, if they, if they argue well, you know, we, we share the same fear. I, you know, you said, you know, I, I think that you've said this before, but like, 
you always imagine yourself as not a very bright person. Obviously, you're very bright, but I've always thought of myself like that. And because of my dysfunction in my life and my family and my history, it's like when someone tells you you're dumb or you're not smart at a young age or you have disabilities or whatever, you believe that. No matter what anybody tells you, those developmental years are crucial. And I have felt that. So, I mean, that's a, you know, I don't even know where I was going with that. But I mean, I, I'm just. Well, even more than the people telling you, which. Uh, who knows what the effect of that is, but you and I, I think if I know your history correctly, like I got called on in class, <laughs> you know, kindergarten to fifth grade when I had, you know, uh, terrible dyslexia and it was undiagnosed where they call on me and I'm pretty certain that word says this and I say it out loud and then everyone laughs and it's not even the other people telling me I'm a dumbass. I I'm learning real time. I'm a dumbass. Like I thought it was that <laughs> word. And it's not <laughs> fuck. It's all it's scary because yeah. yeah, I didn't walk around thinking I was like a dumbass or couldn't comprehend the world around me. Yet when you when you put these letters, these symbols on that chalkboard, I fucking don't know any. I'm the worst in the class. I, and I've said a million times I when I get a D or an F in art class and she's like, what what is this? That's not green. That's a, and I you know, I'm colorblind. And I just, oh, oh, but I don't know anything other than, yeah, I don't know why I don't know this. So I am dumb because no one yeah, fails I, art. I'm dumb. In fact, you'd be dumb not to conclude you were dumb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be like the proof you were dumb. Real time. If you didn't recognize you were dumb. Yeah. That's, I recognized I was dumb, which is dangerous. <laughs> but this is, this is what, I, this is my point. The reason I feel like I have not gotten married. There's a lot of reasons. I'm sure you know most of them. But a big one is. I can't imagine teaching my daughter or son math or science or reading with them. And then I'll go back to going, I don't understand this now. I'm really dumb. That really scares me that I can't educate my children the way that they should probably be educated. But can I tell you something? Homework wise. The, the, the best education you could give them is, is relating to them, uh, empathizing with them, sharing in their frustration, saying, I too couldn't learn this. And look, I wasn't dumb. The fucking math, spelling, that's not the thing you need to learn in life. The thing you need to learn in life is resilience, is, you know. How is to be a good human being. Is, is character. And what you could always educate a kid on his character. And you could always identify and share and let them know you, you're, you, you know how they feel. And they're not alone. And they're not the first person to have this struggle. That, that's what you got to teach your kid, not fucking algebra. When's the last time you did a quadratic equation? Well, I don't want to get into uh, Pythagorean's <laughs> theorems. Or, a squared uh, plus B squared. Geez, don't always equal C squared. Hey, do you, do you hate, do you hate, I know you talk about this. I'm sure you've asked this, answer this question, but do you, do you hate being called like sort of America's couple, the perfect couple? Does that make it harder if you, it's got to make it harder if you ever want to get divorced, right? It's like, fuck, now they're all going to think the perfect couple. I mean, do you ever think like oh, that? Well, I, I think I'm very realistic about, if we were to get divorced, America would most certainly side with her. There, there's no, it doesn't matter what the facts would have maybe be. I, I agree. They would probably, Even if yeah. she like, it was, it came out that she was fucking 69 in LeBron James in a Target parking lot. I know people would be like, well, Dak should have 69 her. He must have pushed her to that parking lot. Uh, so I have no illusion that, that America wouldn't side with her. Oh. I've even taken it as far as I probably would be unemployable or maybe they'd let me play villains in movies, you know, 
but in general, yeah, I would come out on the business end of that separation. I am not unaware of that. And yet life would go on. <laughs> All the more reason I'll be glad I stockpiled some money. <laughs> that is the best answer you could possibly give. Let's just call a spade a spade. I mean, what yeah, do you like? What do you like? Do you argue about? Is it usually the same thing as that you have a certain thing where you're like, you have a trigger, you get mad. She has a trigger, she cries, she gets mad. Is there something that you know you don't go down that path? Oh, there's there's a hundred. And again, you know, the details aren't necessarily relevant. It's all about like the pattern. Like if you can recognize the pattern and then you can just plug anything into that pattern. Uh, she leaves the fucking doors of the cabinets open all the time. She doesn't even put the lids on her fucking medication. I go to get a nails clipper and I bump something and there's pills all over, you know, <laughs> It, it, it the, the the specifics are immaterial. It's, it's like, what pattern do we endlessly find ourselves in? And, and how do we divert out of that pattern? And what do I you think? do? Do you calmly sit there? I, I, okay. Here's, I can only tell you my side of the street, which is, and this is all from AA. If we're having a conversation and I notice my breathing changes, uh, my chest is a little tighter. And now my, my volume's gone up a bit, but I don't even realize my volume's gone up a bit. Uh, that I know a hundred percent of the time, whatever the thing is we're debating, whether it's the cabinets or the medicine, uh, I have a fear that's being triggered. Uh, and I need to go into a room and figure out what fear is being triggered. And until I know what fear is being triggered until I can share with her, what fear is being triggered, uh, the rest of the debate's going to be a waste of time because I just don't care about things that don't trigger fears in me. There's a million things she does that are, are are objectively offensive as a human. Like a human, <laughs> if a human's throwing something in a trash can, they should make sure it lands in the trash can. And if it doesn't, they should take the time to put it in that trash can. Now, I'll walk into the bathroom and I'll see there's like any number of tissues and some Q-tips and you name it, just around the trash can. It doesn't bother me. I find it you know, objectively wrong, but it doesn't bother me. I'm like, yeah, she, you know what, man? She gets as close as she can and that's enough for her. And then there's some other thing <laughs> that is less objectively offensive that I am off to the races on because it triggered she cares about work more than me or she cares about family more than me. She cares about something more than me as I feared my mother did. And that's what's going on. And I need, just need to get vulnerable and tell her, I'm afraid you care about that thing more than me. And she literally goes, honey, I don't care about anything more than you. And then it's over. And I believe her, you know, but I got to get to that point where I can go, I'm afraid you care about that thing more than me. That's incredible. That's incredible that you learn that, that feeling, because I get that feeling and I never know what to do with it. And I, and first of all, if I didn't, if you didn't say that, I'd think, well, this is the feeling I get when I'm upset, when someone's upset me or when I'm just I'm, I'm unhappy. So there's a trigger here. I don't think, all right, whatever this is, you don't need to go out with it. This is you get you, some, something right then. Something talk to yourself, go in another room, because whatever comes out of your mouth probably isn't going to be good. And it's going to come out of a dark place. My favorite example of this, well, I have two. One is you could dedicate the remaining thousand episodes of your podcast to how short Dak Shepard is. That could be, you could even entitle the podcast, Dak Shepard is so short, too short. You could do a thousand episodes. It'd never bother me because I don't have any fear of being too short. I am objectively tall. I don't have a fear of being too short. So you could spend the rest of your life trying to make fun of me for being short and it wouldn't bother me. 
Now, if you had a podcast called Dax is self-centered and sucks up too much energy in a room, I'm bothered by that because I, I do do that. <laughs> and I have a fear that I do that. And so it would bother me intensely. And it would bother you, but you know they were right. So how? what do you do about that? You try to change yourself or do you say, I'm innately that way? Because I do that. I'm like, I go in a room and whether it's insecurity, I don't think they're going to like me for me. I'll be funny. I'll be this. It's something that I'm not. It's something at a, at a young age I did because I didn't like myself. I wasn't confident with my looks. Whatever it was, I did. And now I entertain and people like me. And I'm like, okay, I got him. I got him. Now I can fucking know. Okay. Right. So so all that is is an internal job, right? That That's a Michael Rosenbaum job that no one else has anything to do with. Right. You can pretend they do, but they don't. And, and I do think that all of our problems, each individual person on this planet, their problems have nothing to do with anyone else. Those other people just trigger their fears and their insecurities. And then that's the problem. Like if you had, if you're, if your self-esteem was literally a thousand percent, as I'm saying, if 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 my confidence in every aspect of my personality was the same as my confidence in that I'm not short, I wouldn't have problems because everyone could be saying whatever they were saying and it would never bother me. So all of all that to say, my only problem is Dax and making sure Dax's self-esteem is at its optimal level, as high as it can get. And then I don't have problems anymore. I can't wait for the world to change around me. I have to change me. Inside of you is brought to you by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And look, hair thinning impacts a lot of us, myself included. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol helps support hair growth from within by targeting possible key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and even metabolism. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many possible root causes at play, and Nutrafol helps address them through a multi-targeted whole body approach. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical study, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements for six months. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific possible root causes. With Nutrafol, getting help building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. You could see results in three to six months. 
Take the first step to help you see visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter promo code INSIDE. Find out why 4,500 professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Dot com promo code inside that's nutrifall.com promo code inside inside of you is brought to you by rocket money if you want to save money listen up <laughs> i don't know how, how to tell you this other than f- this really works ryan went through this mm-hmm. we have so many unwanted subscriptions that we forget we have and uh you know there's so many apps nowadays that we just get lost and you know i'm not very app savvy and, you know, I'll watch a streamer and then the next thing I know, I forget that I just watched one show and I'm still subscribed to this after six months. With Rocket Money, they take care of you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Why don't you say, did you know that nearly 75% and end at... Did you know... That nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Yeah, I'm one of those people, Ryan. And between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I could see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. I love the dashboard and how it shows me this month's spending compared to last month. I like doing that. Uh, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. That's simply astonishing. Saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. By the way, I'm not kidding. That once I, I just, I, I could go forever. I'm not going to. But like I, this is this is easy for me. I forget how easy it is to talk to you and be so open. And uh, I just, I, I, you know, I always reminisce. I always think about, you know, all the things we we used to do. And I, I'm sort of one of those people that, you know, I'm definitely one foot in the past, one f- foot in the future, and pissing on the present. I, I'm always been like that. And like I'm just, I'm like, I remember I almost it brought me to tears. I heard an '80s song yesterday, and I remember I would not. I'm saying this out loud, but I remember I got a tear in my eye. And go, God, I just, how, how do I get back? <laughs> I know, I know. You know I really, I really thought with- I want. I got, God, how could I? I mean, if there is a heaven, I think there is. I, I hope that when you die, that subconsciously, whatever it is that you love, maybe you don't even know how much you love it till you die and you're there. That it, that, that whatever that is, you die and that, that all that shit's released in your brain. What's that called? DMT? What the shit's that called? <laughs> the God drug. Whatever it is that, yeah, well, whatever it is, it's in your brain. It releases when you die. I'll send you an article. But anyway, uh-huh. when you die, you go to a place, you're like, yeah, I'm walking down Landview Drive to Danny Cutter's house and 
His brother's got an El Camino and fucking Van Halen jumps playing. I'm going to go downstairs in the basement and play Atari Pac-Man. And the, the fuck, it's raining. And then there's a tornado and Shotzi and Cricket are kind of taking it, almost blowing away. And the fucking winds are almost like lifting the dogs up. And Ron, the brother's grabbing them. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. Simpler times, moments, because not all of my childhood was brilliant. But I, I miss a certain just innocence of like, God, I didn't think about work so much. All I thought about was, how do I just enjoy? How do I just be in this moment? You didn't think about well, it. But, but what's ironic, uh, it, it appears to me what's appealing about that phase of your life is that you actually were present. Like the thing that you're nostalgic for, the feeling, it's not about Van Halen. It's not about all those details. Your emotional state, it sounds like, was present was like yeah. in the time you were in, you were occupying the t the slice of time and space that you were in. You weren't trying to get somewhere. You didn't have aspirations yet. You weren't evaluating yourself yet against all these other people who had similar aspirations and where they're at. And what you really miss is a contentment and a presence. And so the irony being, of course, is that you, you're leaving the present today to want to be there. And so it's like for you to be there would be to stop wanting to be there. You could be there again. You could walk out your fucking driveway right now and go, God damn, I live on this street. I bought this place. I can take a stroll. No one can say I can't. If I want to walk all the way down the hill and get a fucking Slurpee, I can do it. Uh, I could stop at fucking uh, your buddy's house. Life's too short not to hate your pool, buddy. Oh, you Harlan. Know, yeah, Harlan. I mean, you could choose to be doing the exact thing in 1986 you loved. But there wasn't that feeling. And maybe there is. There wasn't that feeling of like, I got to make money. I got to do this. I got to impress. I got to fucking take care of that. There was just like, I just got to be home by six and eat some shitty dinner that my mom's creating and then go upstairs and pretend like I'm, and then watch the thing on TV that's playing. I didn't, there wasn't, there, there is that. And there's always like, there's the, still that little kid that's going Fuck, man. All right. I, I want to be grown up. I'm responsible. I don't do drugs. I, I try to, I'm a good person for the most part. I try to be. And then there's just like, ah, and then you start to go back and forth. Like, how much do I really love this? How much do I really do I like myself? How much? Do I, there's all that that always kind of catches up with you. Yeah. But I, I so, think what you suffer from um, disproportionately <laughs> is I think the weight of some trajectory in your mind you're supposed to be on. Uh, is 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 a lot is cumbersome for you and by the way i haven't i've certainly spent most of my working life not being this way but i have to say um i've really transitioned into comparing myself to previous versions of myself and no one else and i have found elation in that i i you know what right when you said that it made me think, and I definitely like myself better than I did a year ago or six months, maybe even than yesterday. But but That's, that doesn't, it's, look, I'm on the right path. I think we all are. I think if we just like learned, you know, it's it, it may sound like a stupid question, but it's like, you know, that question when people say, do you love yourself? That's always bothered me. And I've asked it every once in a while, not much, but like, you know, that's a, you should either love yourself. You should know the answer immediately, shouldn't you? Hmm. I'm guessing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you should know it immediately. I think what would be really relevant is what things 
uh, you, cause I don't think you can think your way into feeling differently. I think you have to act your way into feeling differently. Yeah, so sure. I think if I ask you right now, Rosenbaum, what's the five things on your list that give you self-esteem? What are they? Uh, I like when people, uh, email the show or I read fan letters or I bump into someone or on my Patreon some, and someone says your, your podcast changed my life. It, mm -hmm. um, you know, listening to you talk about anxiety with the people that, you know, it helps normal, whatever that does give me like a reason, like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing something right. That's great. Mm -hmm. But you know, also self-esteem. Sure. When you're, when you have more listeners, when you have more, uh, sponsors, when you have more, a lot of things that of course, aren't that important, but of course they feed that self-esteem. But I, I really try to go, Hey, I don't need to make an exorbitant amount of money. I just want to do something I love and, and, and make a living at it. That's what everyone wants to do. It, that's a tough question because yeah, there are things, uh, self-esteem wise that we do when someone says, Oh, you're, I don't need to hear but I'm I, handsome. I, guess my, I don't my need point to hear that. I think if someone doesn't have a list of, if they don't know the things that give them self-esteem, how on earth could they be working on their self-esteem? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, mine is exercise. When I exercise, it raises my self-esteem. I'm proud of myself. I did something that I didn't enjoy doing for the betterment of myself long-term. Uh, if I eat healthy, that gives me self-esteem. Because again, I, I, I rejected something that was tempting uh, for my betterment. Um, I'm a, of a service to people. I don't want to fucking call people in AA. I don't want to take someone through the steps. I don't want to do any of that shit. I don't want to fucking host a meeting at my house. But when I do something for other people, I feel I like myself more. That's, I can answer that question. Absolutely. I love myself. And so, you know, there, there's one needs to know what things result in self-esteem because they're not going to magically arrive at it. You know what? One thing that came to mind is when I do things where I don't think about what, whether it's, oh, well, what do you get from that? Or, oh, if you do that, you know, this will, you know, people will see it's altruism. It's when the other day I was on my phone and it says, I won't, you know, it said on Twitter, I don't know, whatever it said, uh, a kid uh, graduates and on his drive home, his, uh, well, him and his sister in the back seat, his parents are killed in a crash. On his graduation day, that's most exciting. And immediately, I, I, di I didn't wait a, wait a bit. I, I didn't think of anything other than I have to contact the school. I have to find a way to somehow help or donate or whatever. I didn't say who I was or not that that matters, but I just, I found the school and I, and I wrote and I genuinely did it from a place of just love. And, I, and it almost made me emotional that I was doing yeah. this because it felt good. And it felt like I had to do that. Yes. And so, and I think you and I share this, even though I'm not, I'm not willing to say you're an addict. I know nothing about that, but what I will say is mm. in, in AA, uh, even that altruism is selfish, which is totally okay. In my opinion. So I, I am of, I believe that the source of almost all my anxiety and depression and all that stuff is thinking about myself. If you give me time to think about myself, I will inevitably start wondering where I'm ranking in this world and I'll start comparing myself to other people and I'll start thinking of the things that Dax doesn't have that he should have. And the more time I spend thinking about myself, the less happy I am. Maybe that's why so, you do maybe that's why you're so busy. 
I think that's probably part of the thing, but I, I know from service in AA, it's pretty hard to be thinking about what I do or don't have while I'm helping someone else. I just get kind of sucked into their problem or sucked into their thing. And it just, it frees me from thinking of myself. And, and so, you know, one of the things with you is like, I don't think it's right or wrong to be in a relationship or be married. I don't give a fuck. I have no position on that. What I have a position on it, the way I think it could be hugely beneficial to you is simply you're going to have to spend so much goddamn time thinking about the other person and and the compromise that you guys have to come to that it it, kind of it takes away some of the free time to obsess about yourself (laughs) and the things you need and where you're at. And so it's like, fuck all the other stuff. It's just like get some fill up that dance card with other people's problems and inevitably, you have less time to think about yours. And really, you don't have fucking problems because you're full and there's a roof over your head. Everything else sure. is just abstract, right? All right, this is it. This is the. All right, I got my patrons, my top patrons, ask questions, and you just you oh, spitfire. Okay. This is uh, Dax Shepard shit talking questions. Answer them as quickly as you want. Leanne, since both Dax and his wife are successful act- actors, is it difficult to find a uh, a work home balance? Uh, it's really not. We, I don't know why it's almost enough to make me believe in a higher power. Uh, I get busy. She gets time. Then she gets busy and I get time. It's been freaky since we've had kids. Generally our very busy times have kept dosy doing. Jennifer Ann, would you do a horror film? If yes, with who? What one did I say? Well, like you think about a get out or something you I'd kill to be in that movie. Right. Would you want to be the killer or someone who's racing from the killer? I was just thinking of this for Kristen and I yesterday because we're both now without scripted television shows. And I was like, wouldn't it be fun to maybe play on the if I was a cynic? Well, I am a cynic. If I was in America looking at Kristen and I, I'd go, fuck that bullshit. He's probably gay. She's probably blank. She's a junkie. There's no way this is real. So maybe I would love to do a horror movie where we're like maybe like an on-aired married newscast team or something. And then when we're off work, we're just fucking evil. <laughs> um, you know what? That'd be funny because it plays on the whole thing where, oh, Dax and Chris and America's couple, they're cute, they're sweet. And then all of a sudden like, fuck you. And you're just stabbing <laughs> I were, people. I knew they were evil. I yeah, knew yeah. they were fucks. <laughs> and then you'll yeah. have Matthew, if you were to make another big studio produced film, I imagine the challenges of working with large studios like that are daunting. That's not really a question. I had a great studio experience on chips. I, I, th- I thought it was great. And to have like the, the infrastructure that exists there. Uh, I just remember like day one on chips going like, oh my God, if I had had this shit on hit and run, I mean, man, does it make it easy? A fucking Porsche Cayenne with a Russian arm on top and best driver in the world driving. And the fucking guy who shot all of, uh, the fucking uh, bad boys action sequences as my DP. Are you kidding? Like this boy, this makes it easier. You said something awesome. Like in our last interview, you said something because uh, you know, we we're talking about it and you're like, well, you know, chips didn't have a big box office success or whatever. And you go, but if I went back to that, I don't know that 13 year old kid in Michigan, <laughs> or Detroit and said, Hey, little Dax, Hey, would you want to be in a big movie? want to be a movie star want to be in a big motion picture and you get to direct it and ride motorcycles the whole time yeah well that kid wouldn't go well does it make a lot of money is it become a huge how much did it make is it a huge success i mean that's what we lose i think that was the most profound thing i've i've heard you say or one of them because 
that just puts everything in a brand new perspective. Like do it because you love it. And if it has success, great. It's hard to differentiate those things. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you you can't be naive. Like the, the success of those things determines whether or not you'll get to do it again. So it is relevant. Right. But yes, as a life experience, whether that thing, the life experience was a life experience. Now it could have made 500 million or in its case, it made 28 million or whatever. Uh, the experience was the experience. The other thing was just the results of which I don't control. Right. It really sucks if you had a shitty experience and it bombed. But if oh, you had a great experience <laughs> and it bombed, it's not that bad. Or a great experience and it had, oh my God. But yeah, I got you. Claudine. Or I always wonder, I always wonder, because this is the thing I, I did think about. Like, say the devil comes down and he says, now you could either love the movie you made and it makes 28 million, or you could totally have missed the mark of what you were trying to make, but it's a huge success. I, I don't think I would choose the latter. I don't think I would want to have not made the movie I set out to, to, to get the reward of it, you know? Well, the only thing I would say there is if the movie made so much money that then you're given another opportunity to do what you want again and make it better. But wouldn't you be so fear laden because you're like, well, the thing I made last time didn't even turn out to what I tried to make. So if I try again, I can't get that lucky twice. I just wanted to survive. I just didn't want to die during the making of my movie. That's all. I remember praying to God and day like 15, I go, Hey, if you just get me out of this, I don't, uh, I'll, I'll never direct again. Just, uh, <laughs> I remember sitting in the back seat. I've told this story of Tom and Deneen, who, you know, my best friends. They're yeah, taking dri- you to the hospital, right? Well, no, I, I didn't, but we're driving and it's like five in the morning, six in the morning. And I'm in the back seat and Deneen's like, oh, chipper going, ah, so anyway, blah, blah, it's going to be a great day. Blah, blah, blah. And Tom's like, uh-huh. And I'm in the back seat in the middle and I just go, I think I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and I, it was barely audible. And Deneen goes, <laughs> what? I go, I think I need to go to the hospital. And then she goes, ah, it's going to be a great day. She didn't look at me, but if she would have turned around, we would have gone to the hospital. Cla- Claudine, a question for Dax. Well, I would hope so. What's something he's learned about himself since becoming a dad? Mm. Mm, that's a good one. I want to give a good, I want to, like, there's some things that are popping up, but I think life lesson wise, you know, you know, I, I know what it is. It's, um, I think most of my life I've had the, uh, the agenda to get my way <laughs> and, and uh, I've been trying to be more clever and, and more tactful or, or tactical and getting my way. And when you have kids, especially if you have two, you know, our first one was so fucking easy. Uh, the way I would naturally parent was yielding results. I thought we were geniuses that we should write a book about it. And then we had another kid and just uh, the opposite things worked for that kid. But I, I spent a few years uh, being stubborn and trying to parent her the same way as our firstborn. And all of a sudden I just had this terrible realization. I was like, oh, I think I wrote my own father off at about five years old. I was like, okay, it's your way or the highway. I picked the highway, motherfucker. And I just had this moment. Where I was like, oh, they could pick the highway. Like I could, I could get, my, I could win and lose so big. And I gotta, I gotta flip this thing. Wow. So I just think having the experience of like prioritizing what you should, pro- what I should have always prioritized in life, which is like, well, there's another human involved, and maybe. I, I need to care as much about them getting what they want out of this experience. Todd, uh, everyone geeks out on something. I can answer this. What do you geek out on besides cars? 
and motorcycles and motorcycles and your kids or your wife. What do you geek out on? My, not Michael McDonald. This is, can't a dark, say that either. this is a dark one. Chris, Kristen hates this. Um, I'm obsessed. They're largely criminals. I'm obsessed with people who through a, a force of will did something impossible. But my prime example of it is uh, Pablo Escobar. He is a poor kid living on the streets of Medellin. He has no shot at becoming the eighth richest man in the world. That, that's off the table. He didn't invent Microsoft. And just through his own will, he's like, no, I'm going to become the eighth richest man in the world. I'm a tra- I'm somehow a tra- I'm obsessed with these stories where people just, and they're often delusional. And through that delusion and their, their force of will, they, they do something impossible. I, I find that endlessly interesting. Emily asks. Do you like that stuff? Do you like criminal shit? Yeah, I watch a lot of Dateline. Um, I know we both love, what's his name? It was Ken, in October. Uh, Ken, Ken, Keith Morrison. December. Oh, October is whatever. Yeah, that guy. It Keith was Morrison. a hot red moon under a nice cold night. And his, dude, he's <laughs> hilarious. And what's he's his name? Hater, who does him on SNL, used to do him. Oh, so good. Oh, so good. He's hard to do. I can't, I can't even get close. You had to him, him on your show, too. Oh, I got oh. Todd, and he's so beautifully Canadian. He just he kept going. It feels so self indulgent to talk about myself. I don't know why I want to do. I'm like, but people want to know about you. Why do I want to do this? (laughs) Emily, who's your favorite guest on interview uh, to interview an arm armchair expert? I have to give a couple answers. One, obviously, my mother is my favorite interview by far. Um, But if we if we take out that that obvious advantage she has. I think dog, the bounty hunter, maybe. Dog or Monica Lewinsky. All right. Just like when you get something so unexpected, like I could have, I could have held Dwayne in my arms after the interview for about an hour and a half. I think before it would have felt awkward. I just wanted, I was so shocked with what a beautiful guy he was. What a sweetheart. It was so lovely. Angel, two more questions. Since you guys have been friends for a long time, uh, share a funny Dax Rosie story. What what story do you think of that we could actually tell? Well, look, when you you and I met when we were younger, and yeah. uh, we're both insecure about how we look, but we both like our penises a lot. So we were you and I constantly had those swords out all over town. Yeah. You know, when I look back on it, we're we're pretty lucky. Times have changed. We wouldn't do that now. Yeah. Uh, but we lived in maybe the last era where you could get that sword out a lot. Yeah, and I don't, you know, and, and not, we did, and I and I really, it never was creepy or weird. I mean, it's weird to just do it in general. But <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, we weren't going doing things like it was just two like little boys going, "Hey, check this out, Dax. Hey, check out my cap. Hey, check it." It was just like we didn't my really- cap. <laughs> Look, yeah, it was a long time ago, and uh, yeah. But I think to have known Rosenbaum and I in that that era is to have seen us with our pants down. I think probably that could have yeah that could have happened. Bob, idiocracy, in your opinion, are we already there? <laughs> uh, no, you know, I um, Steven Pinker, he, he's a he's a, a genius. He, he, he's written a lot of books. Uh, his most recent one is a, a, is about the Enlightenment, like maybe pursuing the ideals of the Enlightenment. I am of the opinion that although in the present day, sometimes it looks like we're going backwards. I think if you look at the long arc this human experience we're getting better and better and better less and less people starve i think it's good i think in the short term it sometimes looks discouraging but 
I think it's a really new experiment, and I think we're doing a good job at getting better and better. Uh, this has been awesome. I, I wanted to end this. Actually, I wanted to start this with just. Do we pull our dongs out? Uh, for not each anymore. Other on Zoom? That was uh, that was uh, twenty years ago. We shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> but I will say, you know, occasionally when my friend Rob or somebody comes over, you know, they might just I'm like, hey Rob, do you want anything to drink? And they'll turn around. I'm like, I'm naked. Just a just as a just a semblance, you know, just a just a little nostalgia. Because like, come on, dude, it's just harmless. It's a, it's a dong. We're naked. Well, you and I find. Look, here's here's where I, I should I should say this because it is relevant. You and I find that really funny. We both enjoy it, and 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 we're f- we have the privilege of finding it funny. What I've realized over time is like, yeah, of course that's funny because I'm a tall white dude, and I don't feel threatened a lot by penises. Um, so it's a privilege that I can find it humorous. Um, if I were a woman, it wouldn't be so funny. And if I were, you know, any number of people, I'm, I'm the right. most empowered someone could be in our society. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of things are funny that are scary to other people. Sure. But I, I think yeah. that, you know, if I recall, I, I just remember it was usually you and I or other guys around for the, for the most part. Yeah, you know but, what I mean? but if you had this, I've had this experience on a set where it's like you're nude with an actress and I'm trapped in my own experience. And I'm kind of like, oh, but no big deal. I'm, I'm nude. But then I have to, you know, I have to recognize, well, yeah, 85% of the crew is dudes. No one's going to go home and jerk off thinking about me. No one's going to, you know, there's all these creepy, I'm not dealing with the same thing that the actress is. Right. Absolutely. It's it's different. I hear you. And it's just, it's just being aware, it's being aware and going, okay, I'm not this person. I'm not, I don't feel threatened. You're right. I remember one time on Smallville, it was one of the finales of the season and they had me up on the. In the front, up at Whistler in the middle of nowhere, but we we're staying at this hotel and everybody got to change there, you know, just go, go a big, like a big suite. And, uh-huh. I, and I walked in and one of the crew guys is there and I'm like, hey, I'm going to take a shower. Is there anybody else here? He's like, oh, Barry, Barry's, uh, you know, he's in the shower. And I go, oh, perfect. He's like this, you know, at that time, he's 25 <laughs> years older than me. He's an older guy. Uh-huh. And I love Barry. He's my buddy. So the yeah. first thing I thought I was like, oh, I got to do something. Sure, you know? sure. So I uh, took off all my clothes, and uh, he. I waited till he was lathered up, really good. And he was an Irish fella. And I remember just going in there and I go, "Could you pass the Irish Spring there, Barry?" And he's like, "Jesus Christ, Rosenbaum, what the fuck?" And then uh, he started laughing, and then he, we, you know, we both told the whole crew and everybody. It just went on forever, and it was just like, you can't do that anymore. But of course, my whole thought was like, how do I make people laugh? How do I be funny? Right. That, right it was always right. out of a place of that. It was never out of a place where like, hey, I want someone to see my D. Yeah. Uh, I was going to end this. We talk about this. I have, I got autographs. You know that I have a house full of like posters and things. You've never been. We've, you can listen to the Toys. last conversation. You say it's a waste. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did something I want to show it to you. But, um, you know, one of my favorite movies is The Warriors, the gang movie. Absolutely. Right. So for Warriors come, come out, out and play. Warriors are good. Real good, the best, <laughs> but the rest is ours. Anyway, it was Cyrus, you see, which what does he say? He's like, hey, twenty thousand cops in this city. Can you dig it? Can, Can you, you dig it? I loved it. Love it. So I was we got talk- the Bayside Rollers sitting next to the Van Cortland Rangers. Of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. So I'm a huge fan. Obviously, you are too. A lot of people are. 
Walter Hill. Walter Hill. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. Sure. My buddy's friends with him. I just love to talk. He's probably going, oh, another guy who wants to talk about the Warriors. Great. <laughs> but he did a lot of other great movies. Anyway, so for I'm not kidding. Since the late 90s, I've been looking for a, an original Warriors vest, something that was worn by the Warriors. And it was impossible. The, 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 the brown leather. Right. On, yeah. I think, yeah. And I had looked and I gave up because I was like, I heard that someone had one, but the cast never really kept the originals and they were locked away and there was only this. They had some doubles. So I was telling my friend and I just said, man, I'll tell you, if a Warriors vest ever comes up, I will. I'll pay two grand for that thing. <laughs> and I go, you know what? Fuck it. And I looked on my phone and on eBay. Original Warriors vest worn by David Harris, who pl played Cochise, the one with the big bandana. Black guy, oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, you'll know yeah. him when you see him. And it had a picture of him. It was authentic. Ooh. And I just said, "Are you kidding me?" And I just messaged the guy back, and I go, "I'll give you a thousand. <laughs> I wasn't gonna go for the two. I would, I would have paid two, but he's, you know, I just let's you got see, it for a grand. Let's see what he says. He goes, "Sure, I'll take a thousand. That sounds like a bargain. Oh, dude. Now, this is the first piece of memorabilia you own that I'm thrilled with. Really? Oh, that is Nate Tuck would fucking cream his gene if he saw this. In fact, will you take a nice photograph of it and send it to me so I can send it to Nate? Oh, yeah. You should actually look on my Instagram. I posted a video of me wearing the vest. Does it fit well? Oh, yeah. It fits really like well. A, I got to work out a little more. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. The Warriors yeah. were in shape for the most part. Do you remember that, that the, the gang? There are a couple of them that you're like, this guy couldn't beat the shit out of a piece of shit. Well, you know, it's so interesting what our memories of things are versus like, do you remember in Urban Cowboy? Great film. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah. Love. The antagonist. I forget that guy's name. Glenn. Uh, Wasn't it Scott uh, Glenn? Scott Glenn. Now, I was telling Kristen about Scott Glenn's biceps in that movie. And in my mind, my, in my memory, they're fucking enormous. Ripped. Like, I never saw biceps like that. <laughs> I, go, I look on, I look, you know, Google images, and they're nice, man. They're nice biceps. But they're not they're, what you thought. He's, he's cut, and he has a really nice vein. But they're not at all what I thought. And, 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 and the bar has raised so much, yeah. you know, with these superhero movies and everything. You now realize like, oh, they were pretty average looking guys <laughs> that I was crazy for. Oh, yeah. Well, that's like with anything. I think I just watched. I loved Gremlins as a kid and I put it on. And within 20 minutes, I go, can we turn this off, guys? Like, no, no. Oh. What are you talking about? I'm like, this doesn't hold up at all. What a piece oh. of shit. Interesting. I still watch it every Christmas. I, I like it. I, I just it was just is so I couldn't I, yeah, I can't get into you couldn't it. do it. Couldn't and, do but it. yeah, as much as I like horror. After Friday the 13th one or a Halloween one, I'm out. Can't do it. There's nothing scary about a guy who can't be killed. He just can't be killed. At least there's like, it's just like everyone's going to die. But if you, could, yeah. if you could stop the paranormal thing or you could stop the zombies or you could stop something, there's fear and you, got, you know at the end they could still win. Yeah. That's my logic. You have a real um, emotional attachment to, to horror. Yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> do you? Uh, almost none. It, it never. It was a genre that never really appealed to me. I can name the five horror movies I've ever liked. Let me guess: you know? The Thing, The Shining. I don't know. Oh, Shining's great. Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Nah. What is it? Uh, Freddy Krueger. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Love that one. Love Get Out. And that might be it. Wow. <laughs> you know, one day when it's all over, I'd love to. We. I want to hang out, but. 
it wouldn't be bad to like I, I want to try and scare you with the movie that I think is the, the scariest movie or one of the scariest movies and see how you feel watching it just sitting back with me you know that's just the thing I don't um I just don't get scared I I anytime maybe that I maybe be going down that road I remind myself that it's a movie which is terrible I wish I could just enjoy it but I, I've never g- been able to get terrified by a movie all right leave me with this leave me with uh, a little uh Michael McDonald for me now I know what love in you calls babe. Now we're up to talk in divorce and we weren't even married. On my own how it was supposed to be. <laughs> I could do it forever. It's so lackluster. All my impressions get worse and worse nah, every they're year. Great. Your own yeah. Wilson's the best. <laughs> it was. It was. It's, it's, hey, I, I love you. This is this is a lot of fun, man. I'm glad we got to catch up, and I and I do miss you. And uh, when this is all over, we got we got to do something. Fuck yeah, brother. Can we do that? I don't have a TV show anymore. I'm I'm set. I can party. Wait a minute. Didn't you say you had another TV show? Or you just yeah, have- I mean, some other TV shows, but I don't have the big, the big one, the time, the time killer. All right. I like it. Hey, congrats. Everybody listen to armchair expert. It's uh, huge and awesome. And uh, he gets amazing guests and uh, you're an amazing guest. So thanks. dude. <laughs> Thank you. I love you, Rosie. Love you too, buddy. I really enjoy having Dax on the show. Um, I do. And uh, he's always honest. And I feel like I could ask him anything. He's one of those guests where you could just say something and he'll, you know, yeah, but well, you know, um, <laughs> I always felt, you know, I, I think I get sometimes annoyed. We get annoyed with each other because I definitely feel like sometimes he's a, you know, he could sort of be that therapy. He's been through so much therapy. I've been through therapy, but he'll, he'll point things out. I mean, I go, I know this about myself. You don't have to tell me. And that's not what, and I get defensive. I'm like, eh, there's probably some truth there. <laughs> uh, it's always an enjoyable time. And I thank him for coming on the podcast again. So that was really nice. Thank you all again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And please, if you enjoyed Dax, please stick around for the next episode and support the show. Thank you, Westwood One and all the ladies, um, Agnes and Teresa and Katrin and, uh, and you know, Kelly, of course, uh, all you guys over at Westwood One and everybody helping Lou. And thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Bryce, for making the show better and better. And again, at Inside You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at Inside You Pod on the Twitter and all that be good to yourselves stay strong i'm gonna do a little uh, patron shout out tell my patrons who really go above and beyond and uh, give me all the support and the love and again team rogue flask and uh, leah and Kristen, thank you for the stage it before i do that also the online store inside of you online store we got the wine glasses and the mugs and the hats and the we got horror hats too i have these awesome i love horror which is true so and look at this somebody look they gave me this cup Lee and a bunch of people and Mary and it's really nice. Oh, it's just nice. Isn't that nice when people make you things? Yeah. It's really nice. I don't make people things. No, I do. I give them things. Patron shout out. Here we go. Nancy D, Mary B, Leah S, Trisha F, Sarah V, Little Lisa. Little Lisa, you keep go. Jill E, Brian H, Lauren G. You know these people by now, don't you? You've heard mm-hmm. the names so many times. Mm-hmm. Nico P, Angelina G, Robin S, Jerry W, Emily F. Bob B, Robert I, Jason W, Stephen J, Kristen K, Amelia O, Allison L, Tom N, Jess J, Lucas M, Raj, Emily S, CJP, Samantha M, Hamza B, Jennifer N, Jackie uh, P, Jackie P, Stacey L, Carly H, Jennifer S, 
Janelle B. Carrie B. Tabitha 272, not to be confused with. Tabitha 273. Kimberly E. Crystal H. Mike E. Marissa N. Ramira. Beth B. Santiago M. Sarah F. Chad W. Leanne P. Rachel C. Russian R. Ray A. Maya P. Megan J. Jennifer C. Maddie S. Tiffany I. Almost there, guys. Kendrick F. Ashley E. Margie M. Thomas T. Matt W. Belinda N. Benjamin R, Lisa J, Kevin V, Robert S, Mike W, James R, Chris H, Snow R, Noah K, Sean V, Anusha W, Ashbourne, 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 H, and Dave H, and Sheila G. You guys are terrific. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast again. And uh, let's keep it going, man. Let's keep having fun. Keep tuning in and uh, write in. You know, I always I have to re- read some letters again. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah. So I'll have to read some letters. I'm going to have to go to the uh, hello at inside of you podcast.com and get some interesting letters. Try to make them short if you can. That'd be great. I'm not. I have ADD. Yeah. All right. Thank you for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you. Ryan. Michael. We'll do it again. Mm-hmm. All right. See you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.